The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony, they challenged the prevailing narratives of their day, and they succeeded. And you know how they did that? We have to remember this. This is the key. Their success was grounded in our nation's creed that we just spoke about. And they reminded their fellow Americans about our founding principles, and as Lincoln said in his famous first inaugural, the better angels of our nature. We should do the same thing today. My friends, let's be encouraged. Let's press on in hope and that we can join together and make this great difference. I believe that we can. We can stand with every woman for every child, and we can truly build a culture that cherishes and protects life. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Good afternoon. That was the voice of uh, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. And um, what a great witness to life. He is here today because his mother chose life. And I just think his background and his story is an absolute amazing one. I'll share a little bit more of what he had to say because I I think we're blessed to have him in that position. So many different saints, um, so many people who are making a difference in the world today because their parents have said yes to life when they could have chose abortion. You know another one? If I get a chance, maybe a little later today, I'll share the story with you. John Paul II, his mother was advised to abort him. Could you imagine what the world would be like without John Paul II? Andrea Bocelli is another classic example. And the list goes on. Maybe you know a few, too. Feel free to join me anytime today. I always love to talk with you. The number here, it's 888-914-9149, Before we get to Speaker Johnson or any of the other news, we've got a full show today. Always a mixed bag here for you. Uh, just want to bring up speed on what's happening. You know, I was... I don't want to say glad. That's kind of the wrong word to use. But when these Houthi rebels, right, they keep striking the U.S., attacking our military, uh, air bases, uh, and, and troops, you're thinking, man, we got we have to strike back. You can't let them get away with this unbridled. So the U.S. did that, right? They came back to say enough is enough. This is just, and we can defend ourselves, right? Um, well, the airstrikes the U.S. is conducting against those rebels in Yemen uh, they're going to continue because President Biden conceded yesterday they're not working. Somebody asked him, do you think these strikes are working? He knows they're not working. The rebels continue to, to even though they've you know certain areas of their operation have been taken out, continue to strike. He was asked at the White House whether the strikes were working. He says, you know, when you, when you say they're working, are they stopping the Houthis? Biden says, no. So then he added, are they going to continue? He said, yes. I mean, he, he knows this is going to happen. So the Houthis... They claim they're supporting the Palestinians against Israeli's action. And because the U.S. has done this, they now see us as as aggressors as well. But here's an overview of what happened in the last 24 hours with the conflict in Yemen. Check this out. The U.S. military attacked targets in Yemen again. More strikes in retaliation for attacks by militants known as the Houthis on commercial and military ships in the Red Sea. The Houthis say they are attacking the ships to support Gaza by blocking supplies from reaching Israel. The Biden administration on Wednesday formally redesignated the Houthis as a terrorist organization. They've been added to the list under President Trump, taken off, and are now back on. The designation taking effect in a month. But it's not just the Houthis and the Red Sea. War is spreading across the Middle East, with the U.S. at the center of it. 
The United States is now in an increasingly open and expanding conflict with what is known as the Axis of Resistance, a network of militant groups in six countries and territories. All are backed by Iran, but they operate with a degree of autonomy. What, what do I say to you every day, right? And I, I do this as part of my own spirituality. When you hear news stories like that, say a prayer. This, right, I'll offer one Hail Mary. A memorare, a uh, Jesus, I trust in you, or Lord, have mercy, or, or or pray from your heart and ask God to bring about conversion, protection, and peace to the world. We need it. Um, we we're really at a very critical moment today. I believe in the culture and in and in the world. Uh, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, he poured cold water on the U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's statement that you know a two-state solution is the best solution to the Israeli. Palestinian conflict, and I, I don't see what other solutions you have other than a two-state solution, right? Uh, Netanyahu told Blinken, no, there will be no Palestinian state, and that after the war is done, Gaza and the West Bank will be under Israeli control, period. It's going to be under Israeli security control. I was just over there about two years ago, a year and a half ago. Um, it is a militarized state. I mean, you should see uh, Palestinians really their access is very limited. You see the roadblocks, the backed up traffic. It is pretty intense. So um, I, I know war is hot right now. Um, emotions are inflamed. Uh, this is the position right now. The Israeli prime minister will it be that way after the dust settles. I don't know, but U S national security spokesperson, John Kirby, uh, he told reporters that after the war, there will be a post conflict Gaza and not a reoccupied Gaza. So what that means, I'm not quite sure. But take a listen to this clip from PBS News on Netanyahu's post-war plans of denying the Palestinian people a state. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu dismissed any talk of Palestinian statehood after the Gaza war ends. That laid bare a deep division with U.S. policy, but the Prime Minister said he's made his stance clear to Washington. In any future arrangement, Israel needs security control over all territory west of the Jordan. I tell this truth to our American friends. The prime minister needs to be capable of saying no to our friends, saying no when necessary and saying yes when possible. In response, the State Department underscored the U.S. stance that post-war planning must include a state for Palestinians. So there you have it. We will see what happens. Say a prayer for peace. Say a prayer for the persecuted Christians over there. I was talking to somebody the other day. I need to do more, I, I think, with this tremendous platform that God has given to me to raise awareness to the plight of Christians in the Holy Land and in all the neighboring areas there. So pray, support those causes if you certainly can. Uh, you know, the election's underway, and I don't want to talk too much politics here. I do want to talk a little bit about what's happening on Capitol Hill, but I, there's one other thing that might affect you, and you may not have heard about it. The Biden administration announced that they're going to forgive another $5 billion in student loans. Well, 4.9 to be exact, but let's round it up, right? $5 billion. Uh, CBS News was reporting that uh, bar, you know, the, the bars of presidents, the, the, the people are going to benefit. The people that the president is is targeting, they're teachers, nurses, and firefighters, and others who are eligible for forgiveness after working 10 years of public service. Okay, I get that. Um, there's another group uh, who have repaid their loans for at least 20 years, but didn't get the relief they earned through the income-based plans. Um 
the president also announced earlier this month that those who took out less than $12,000 in loans and have a repayment of 10 years uh, will have their remaining debt canceled beginning next month. Uh, some conservatives are threatening lawsuits. Here's a little bit more. Here's uh, what Yahoo News had to say about the administration's pull for additional debt relief to fix what they call, quote, accounting errors. Check this out. This is more debt relief on top of the student debt relief that we've already seen from the administration. Specifically, here are the numbers. It's approved for an additional $4.9 billion in student loan debt to be wiped out. That will go for 73,600 borrowers. And what the administration is saying is that this reasoning is to fix inaccurate accounting by student loan servicers that got it wrong and didn't count borrowers' qualifying payments. Now, the borrowers who will see relief. Specifically, they are those who are on the income-driven repayment plan. That's the plan that allows debt forgiveness after 20 to 25 years of qualifying payments. 29,700 individuals seeing relief there. The administration previously gave that similar relief in that uh, income-driven repayment plan to 800,000 borrowers. That was back in August. And again, um, we'll see what happens. There'll probably be lawsuits over this. Uh, I would assume there was an earlier move by the Biden administration to forgive student debt. It ended up being stopped at the Supreme Court. So uh, why is this happening right now? Uh, there's an election underway, too, right? Uh, it's something the president campaigned on during his last run. And look, this resonates. Uh, there's so many people who are drowning in debt right now. Who wouldn't want student loan debt uh, eradicated? We'll see how it ultimately uh, shakes out. Hey, I, I want to share with you, though, a little bit more about uh Speaker of the House and what he had to say. Um, I, I was looking at numbers earlier today, and these are kind of staggering numbers. Um, uh, gosh, 65 million babies have been killed through well, by abortion since Roe v. Wade was decided in 73. Those are the latest numbers that have surfaced, right? They're staggering. They're figures from the National Right to Light. Of course, the Dobbs decision, when that went down on June 24th of of uh, 2022, it ended the national reach of abortion, but there's still a lot of states that allow it. In fact, the number of women, for instance, that are heading now into states like Illinois from outside the state, that's increased dramatically. And and there, we still need to be very vigilant. We still need to work hard. We still need to pray for an end to abortion, really for the conversions of hearts and minds uh, so that we can value human life, both born and unborn. Speaker Johnson, uh, Speaker of the House Johnson, who... Uh, he was at actually the March for Life rally today amongst a number of other people. Uh, he's alive today because his mother made a tough decision. You know, he could have very easily been aborted. I played a little uh, clip earlier in the show, Speaker Johnson's address, but I thought you really should hear a little bit more of uh, what he had to say. Take a listen to this. I think you'll appreciate it. It was the great British statesman G.K. Chesterton who famously observed that America is the only nation in the world that was founded upon a creed. And he said it was listed with theological lucidity in the Declaration of Independence. What is that creed? What is it from our nation's birth certificate, the Declaration, that makes us who we are? We know the language so well. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, obvious, that all men are created equal. Not born equal, created equal. That's what the founders said. That's right. And that they're endowed by their creator 
with certain inalienable rights, including the right to life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Those are inalienable rights. They cannot be taken away. And, and so it's from the very beginning that our founders boldly proclaimed those self-evident truths, that our rights do not come from government. Our rights come from God, our Creator. That's right. And it also means that every single person has inestimable dignity and value. And your value is not related in any way to the color of your skin or what zip code you live in, what, how good you are in sports, where you went to high school. It's irrelevant. Your value is inherent because it is given to you by your Creator. Our national creed is the essence of who we are in this country. It is the foundational principle that made us the freest, most successful, most powerful, most benevolent nation in the history of the world. And we can never forget that. I am myself a product of an unplanned pregnancy. In January of 1972, exactly one year before Roe v. Wade, my parents, who were just teenagers at the time, chose life. And I am very profoundly grateful that they did. See, what we have to do right now, and I believe the reason all of you are here is you understand that we have to build a culture that encourages and assists more and more people to make that same decision. This is a critical time to help all moms who are facing unplanned pregnancies, to work with foster children, and to help families who are adopting, to volunteer and assist our vital pregnancy resource centers in our maternity homes, and to reach out a renewed hand of compassion and to speak the truth in love. That's what we do. All of us can play a role in that really important work. This is also a pivotal time to promote quality health care for both women and their unborn children. This week in Congress, you'll be encouraged to know the House passed the Pregnant Students' Rights Act because, that's right, because uh, being pregnant while finishing your degree can be really difficult, but, but women should not be presented with a false choice of being a mom or being a student. We also passed the Supporting Pregnant and Parenting Women and Families Act. That's a big one, too. Right now, you should know, the Biden administration is proposing a regulation to restrict funds to pregnancy resource centers. We know those are the centers that states rely on to assist uh, expecting moms and dads, and that action would undercut that important work, the important material support that expecting and first-time mothers get from these centers. Our bill would prevent that regulation from coming into effect and ensure that the states can utilize these centers to help people in need. Who could be opposed to that? We're, we're passing these bills and we're marching today because it takes a lot of work to convince people that every single human child, every unborn child, has a value that is too profound and precious to ignore. And we have every reason to be optimistic, my friends, that we can change public opinion. We find encouragement from the leaders of previous generations. We can learn from the great Americans who changed public opinion throughout our history. Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony. They challenged the prevailing narratives of their day and they succeeded. And you know how they did that? We have to remember this, this is the key. Th their success was grounded in our nation's creed that we just spoke about. And they reminded their fellow Americans about our founding principles and as Lincoln said in his famous first inaugural, the better angels of our nature. We should do the same thing today. My friends, let's be encouraged, let's press on in hope and that we can join together and make this great difference. I believe that we can. We can stand with every woman for every child and we can truly build a culture that cherishes and protects life. God bless you. Thanks for braving the weather. We'll see you soon.
Hey, man, I'm glad his teenage parents said yes. All right, and I want to speak to anyone who's listening right now. If you are in that crisis pregnancy, you don't think that that life uh, is going to ruin your life, right? You do not, you don't know what God has in store for that individual. Right, John Paul II's mother was told to abort him. Andrea Bocelli, Speaker Johnson. God creates all of us for a purpose and a mission, right? Be open to life. It's a gift from God. And I guarantee you, you will never regret the decision. I'll also promise you something else. You will regret having squandered that gift of life. You might think not now, but it will haunt you the rest of your life. So uh, there is a man who's been on the front lines fighting for life. He's going to join me in a moment. His name's David B. Wright. He's an international pro-life leader. I know you know him. He founded, led the, the Global 40 Days for Life movement uh, through its first decade. And I've never seen in all of my years of covering the issue of the fight for life in the country, an organization that has had more impact on saving lives. Uh, this is an organization that has spread across the United States and is now, I think, in something like 40 nations. You, you want to take a look at the numbers? You want to take a look at the fruit? 14,000 lives. They've closed. That's how many have been saved. 14,000 babies are alive today. They're future legislators. They're future you know, priests and, and nuns and surgeons and inventors. They're people who are going to make a profound difference. 40 Days for Life closed down 83 abortion centers. They helped 143 workers to quit the abortion industry. He's doing an incredible, incredible work. And uh, I just am very, very grateful to have him with us today. It's a pleasure to have David B. Wright with me. David, good afternoon. Hey, Drew, thank you so much for having me. You're live today at the March for Life in D.C. Thank you for making time. <laughs> Always great to talk with you. And thank you. Congratulations. I look at your numbers every year, and I I, I really think there's an anointing on, on, on your work and on your ministry. I just think it's, it's amazing. I, I love what Speaker Johnson had to say. You probably are more familiar than I am with other stories like his uh, where mothers thought about aborting their children, chose not to, and today we've got leaders and scientists and and men and women who are changing the world. It's incredible to think about. And, you know, I was last night at an event right before the March for Life, and they were talking about it's not just the generation, it's not just the life you're saving today, whether you're praying outside an abortion center, helping at a pregnancy center, whatever it is, what you're doing is you're impacting future generations because those children will grow up. Many of them will get married. Many of them will have children. And the ripple effect of what each and every one of us are doing, marching in Washington, D.C., praying out to an abortion center, volunteering at a pregnancy center, whatever it is we do, each of us can make a difference by being a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. Hey, David, you said you're down there in D.C. right now. I don't know what the turnout's like. I've not seen the numbers. How How is it now post-Dobbs, uh, now that Roe has, has fallen? I know some people say, hey, you ought to move it to June now, but still people yeah. brave the cold, the snow, the inclement weather. Um what does this second March for Life, if you will, after Dobbs, feel like, and, and and why are we still doing it now? Yeah, it's a great question. So it, this morning we were woke up to snow in Washington, D.C. It's in the upper 20s or 30s, and yet tens of thousands, if not 100,000 or more, people still gather on the National Mall. And even though buses couldn't make it in and people got stranded, those who came were incredibly encouraged to hear from Speaker Mike Johnson and so many other speakers. So the mood is very different than, I was just thinking about, you know, three years ago, two years ago, before we knew that Roe v. Wade would be overturned, and how everybody was still determined, but it was more this long-suffering kind of determination. But now that Roe's been overturned, we realize that, number one, God hears and answers our prayers, but number two, our work is not yet done. 
because now the fight goes back to 50 unique state-by-state battles, and we need to be willing to speak up for children. We need to help mothers more than ever before. And it seems like there's a joyful commitment to do more, and that's the feeling I've gotten on the National Mall and walking around Washington, D.C. today. The people are ready. They realize our work is not done, that we've got to go back home, and we've got to do more. And as we've seen these state ballot initiatives where, regrettably, the pro-life movement has lost, seven elections and we've lost all seven people have a resolve to say in the upcoming 11 or 12 states that will likely have abortion on the ballot for being enshrined in state constitutions they're ready to fight and say we're going to do everything to advocate for life and we know that we can make progress we know that god hears and answers our prayers so it's a determination but one that's filled with joy yeah well i hope yeah if you know 50 years you know, the pro-life movement has been laser-focused on really overturning road, Roe. It has happened, right? Um, right. Because it was bad law. Um, but why? I'd like your take on why we got caught flat-footed when it came to dealing with states after it fell. Yeah. You know, Drew, that's a great question. And I think that part of it was a lot of us who had prayed and worked for this moment weren't ready for it. And so we were so focused on the federal. We were so focused on getting the right people on the Supreme Court, getting the right people in office to put the right people on the Supreme Court. And as a result of that, we weren't ready to see beyond that. And so when the leaked decision came down, and then ultimately the final decision, which was the same essential decision, I think the pro-life movement was really stunned. And to be honest, the abortion industry was as well. Everybody knew it was bad law. Everybody knew eventually Roe's going to end up on the ash heap of history. I just think people didn't think it would happen this quickly. And even those who introduced the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, initially it was meant to focus on a very narrow set of circumstances, but then the Attorney General Lynn Fitch encouraged the court to revisit the bad decision of Roe, which ultimately they did, hence its overturn. So I think you're right. We were flat-footed. I think that we were ill-equipped and ill-prepared to organize at the state level. I think we now have to realize that, praise God, we made it past this one major milestone but we have to think differently. We have to do things differently. We have to be willing to innovate. We have to be willing to work harder than ever before and smarter than ever before. And the abortion industry got a head start on that. But it's high time that we get our act together and do better than we've ever done before because lives are at stake at an unprecedented level. You probably saw the Guttmacher Institute study yeah. a few months back, the research arm in the abortion industry. And though there's questions about some of the data, they're showing that in the states where abortion wasn't restricted or banned. There's been significant increases in abortion, but nationwide, we've actually seen a slight uptick in abortion since the overturn of Roe. So this is not a moment to grow weary. This is a moment for us to work harder, to have that joyful optimism, and to work to protect life right where we live, in our communities and in our states. The Knights of Columbus, speaking of polls, they released their poll from the Marist College showing that two-thirds of Americans say that abortion, if it's allowed should be limited in the first trimester. Uh, Ohio, uh, that's not how people voted in Ohio. I mean, I, I'm a little concerned about the upcoming elections and how this is going to, how this this issue of life is going to be played out and how accurate some of these polls really are. Yeah, you know, Drew, I've seen a lot of deep exit polling after the Ohio defeat. And for anybody who's not aware, in November, Ohio voted to enshrine abortion in their state constitution through this issue one. It was a terrible loss. It went down to a double-digit defeat for the pro-life position. And as a result of that, they now have one of the most egregious pro-abortion laws in the country. And the exit polling, what they found is a lot of people who self-identify as conservative were voting to enshrine abortion in the Constitution 
and particularly amongst women, they expressed a visceral anger that the Supreme Court had taken such a drastic action so soon. And in talking to some of those women, they found that these are people who, well, I'm not comfortable with abortion, but I'm not ready for it to be completely gone because I've been conditioned to think that this is important. The other two things that were really troubling to me that really wake us up in the church is that those who attend church every Sunday or more often, 33% of those voted to enshrine abortion in the Constitution. So we're not forming our own as well as we should. And the other number was that 52% of self-identified Catholics voted for abortion in the state constitution. So we still have a lot of work to do right in our own pews, right in our own parishes, right in our own communities. We've got to change hearts and minds, but also really educate not only about the humanity of the child, but about the harm that abortion causes to women. And if we do a better job of that, while also demonstrating to those who are facing unexpected pregnancies, we are here, we will help you, we will do whatever it takes to help you in this situation and then mean it, walk with them in the messiness of life, that's where we'll start to see the tide turn. Well, David, thank you for all you do. Uh, we're on the winning side of this equation. <laughs> that's Amen. for sure. We need to continue to pray. And uh, the fruit you're bearing is amazing. If people want to check out 40 Days for Life, what's the best way to do that or to follow what you're, you're involved with? Yeah, I mean, to follow 40 Days for Life, go to 40daysforlife.com. It's the number 40, daysforlife.com and find out about the latest campaigns. The next one's starting on Ash Wednesday, awesome. which is Valentine's Day this year. And then feel free to follow me on social media or anywhere else, but just realize that this is a critical time. And I appreciate everyone who's willing to be a voice for the voiceless right now and to stand up and be a voice to protect life now more than ever. We need you. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for joining us from the March for Life. Safe travels, David. Thank you, Drew. God Thank bless you. you. God bless you. It's David B. Wright, founder of 40 Days for Life. I need to take a very short break. When we come back, our conversation will continue. Stay with me. Marion Evanston is online. When she was 18, she was raped. She'll tell you what decision she made regarding that pregnancy. She got pregnant as a result of that. That and more when I return. Did you like what Drew and the guest had to say? Get caught up on this conversation and all the others by going to the relevant radio archives. Just search for The Drew Mariani Show. So should we have policies that penalize people for having extra kids in the developed world? This is all about increasing their power, imposing their vision, and their vision is population control. I also had my first abortion at the Seattle Planned Parenthood. Population control, there's too many people on the planet. Every child on the face of the earth is unique and distinct and precious. Our potential is our children. Children are our future. Before the cities and governments, there were families. And the family is the most important institution in the world. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, I have yet to see that. My producer Maggie was just sharing with me a new diaper company that's in town. And they ran that ad. That, uh, there's a, they're fully pro-life. And they're making a splash today in Times Square. Every Life Diaper Company, it's the name of them, Every Life Diaper Company began its Make More Babies campaign this week with a billboard in Times Square. They featured uh, 
featuring a quote on X, formerly his Twitter, you know, and um, I just think it's a powerful commercial. Maggie says you got to see it. It'll give you, it'll see you goosebumps. It'll, it'll definitely give you goosebumps when you see this thing. So I am uh, delighted that there are more people out there making a difference. I never understood these diaper companies or these institutions that make, you know, products like baby powder and things like that, that support abortion, right? Why would you do that to your base? So God bless them. I hope they're successful. Let me take a couple of quick calls from you. Dr. Gracie uh, Pozo Christie is going to be joining me here in a second. We'll get her on the air. But Mary is joining us in Evanston, Illinois. Good afternoon, Mary. Thanks for calling in. Hi, Drew. Um, I just heard you say that um, that there's a myth that if a young girl gets pregnant, that she'll have to forego her education. And I'm, I'm an example of somebody who as you said, was date raped as a freshman in college. I was a virgin. I became pregnant. And um, luckily, my mother was very pro-life. And I was very pro-life at that point already. And so I, I had a child who I placed for adoption who now lives five miles from me. And I have grandchildren. But my point is, I want to dispel the myth that it, it might interrupt your education but it doesn't mean you can't finish it. So while it was not without sacrifice and suffering, um, I had to delay by one year graduating from college, but I graduated cum laude and went on and got a master's degree at University of Chicago and had a very successful career as an executive. And, And that all means nothing compared to the grandchildren that I now have because of that decision. And one of the things I would like you to comment on is it's intriguing to me that people don't link abortion with the immigration crisis in our country, because not only did we have we ended the lives of 65 million children, but all their offspring. And now we need workers and and on both sides of the uh, political spectrum, everybody's concerned about the migrant crisis. But so. Hopefully, at some point when abortion becomes, when the pro-abortion Democrats make it make abortion the issue, uh, we can turn it around and say, link it to migration. Well, you know, the other aspect here, too, and Mary, first of all, thank you for calling and for sharing so openly about that trauma that you went through and being a witness for life. Um, the United States, and we've talked about this earlier in the week or last week, uh, the replacement rate for our country should be at 2.1. We're below that as a nation, as many nations are around the world. So when it comes to the migration issue, I mean, we do need, uh, these migrants that are, that are here are helping to offset that number somewhat. And to the farmers and many people who are uh, looking for labor, they're, they're having a crisis of filling those particular jobs, and I know a lot of migrants are. But uh, the life issue is a, a, an important part of that. As a nation, we have a, a right to a sovereign border, of course, and we need to do that. And there should be an orderly way for migration, but my heart is for that migrant, too. You know, we've, we've got to find a way to, to draw the balance between the two. But, you know, your story in particular, and I, and I want to get back to the fact that, you know, you were violated and raped. This is one of the big arguments for abortion. You know, most people are against it uh, other than rape and incest and life of the mother. Rape and incest, you know, they're similar in the sense they're both criminal acts, right? We don't punish the victim, nor do we punish the criminal's children. And somehow that gets lost, doesn't it? Women who are, are victims of sexual assault have reported, I know years 
of physical and emotional and psychological difficulty following their 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 abortions. And abortion never solved their problem and created additional ones. And you're seeing the well, fruit of it. What would you say to that mother right now who, you know, is carrying that child and doesn't think that 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 life is I worth it? That, I would say that indeed they were a victim, but by choosing life, you become a victor. And instead of becoming a victim twice, because many women who have been pregnant and then had abortions yeah. say they define it as being victimized twice. There's a great book about it called Victims and Victors by mm-hmm. the Burks. And, um, and Drew, you made a comment earlier that it couldn't be truer. This was the best decision of my life. Yep. I mean, this was the best decision of my life. What, what couldn't I get through after I got through that? Oh, God bless you, Mary. Thank you Yeah. so much for calling. And I, I, met, I met my daughter when I was 17, and I, when she was 17, and I oh. have had a relationship with her since, and she was five miles, and I have two grandkids. So. Mary, stay on the line. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna get you, we're going to get your number. I, you ought to come into our studio, share your story one day. I would love to hear it and spend more time with you uh, here and, okay. and, and unpack it. Okay, so I'm going to have my, one of my producers grab your number and... I'm so grateful for it because this is a huge issue. And look, coming up in the midterm, midterms, in the general elections, life is going to be one of those key issues. Um, bottom line is this. Abortion takes the life of a human being, period, right? The circumstances of how a child's life is created, whether it's through rape or through incense, criminal act, you know, it doesn't take away that that's still a human being. And it's just as valuable as anyone else. So uh, I just let, let's pray we get this issue right. And women like Mary um, are beautiful testimonies uh, to to the fact that life is sacred. She not only has a child, but she's got grandchildren as a result of this. So uh, we'll get Mary's number, Meg. I don't know if Patrick or somebody grabbed it, but let's, let's do it, and we'll we'll go ahead and maybe bring her in studio. I'd love to talk with her. Uh, I want to change gears. I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the legislation that's underway right now. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the Dobbs decision that was handed down on June 24th of 2022 and the number of states that have rejected uh, pro-life amendments. Uh, that's what happened uh, in Kansas. They've amended their constitution to allow abortion from the moment of conception up through birth. We talked about Ohio with David B. Wright, uh, how they constitutionalized the right to, to murder a child as well. And there are actually a lot more ramifications to the Ohio Amendment than just abortion, believe it or not. I won't get into it, but it will allow minors to have transgender procedures performed on them without their parents' consent and a whole litany of other things. That was a mess. Ohio, you made a terrible mistake there. I hope you can correct it. But, of course, there are states where you would think things like this would happen, like, you know, the Northeast or the West Coast. Uh, Minnesota's legislature also made it legal through all nine months, as well as in Illinois. But now Florida, a very conservative state, is the next pro-life state that abortionists have their sights on. The ACLU and its allies are proposing an amendment to the Sunshine State's Constitution that reads like this. Let me share this with you. No law shall prohibit, delay, or restrict abortion before viability or when necessary to protect the patient's health as determined by the patient's health care provider. Man, is that an open door, right? Late person, that may sound like a fairly limited law, but when you look at it a little more carefully, you're going to find, like the other states, it would allow abortion from conception to birth. It even goes further than that. So a lot of frightening consequences there. Let's uh, talk today with Dr. Uh, Gracie Pozzo-Christi. She's a senior fellow for the 
Catholic Association and the host of the nationally syndicated radio show, Conversations with Consequences. And uh, it's great to have her with us today. Uh, well, Doctor, it's so grateful to have you. I always enjoy our conversations. Welcome. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be back. What a beautiful story from Mary. I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a mother of several children, one by adoption. So there's no one I love better than birth mothers and fathers that choose life. Amen to that. I have my oldest son just adopted. So, you know, oh, I'm so beautiful. grateful to the mother that said, I say to my wife all the time, it's like she could have easily said no, aborted that child. That'd be it. Man, do we love that child? You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's crazy how you fall in love. So uh, Mary's testimony is a beautiful one. Uh, doctor, what are you seeing? Let's 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 get it from your perspective. You're down in Florida, right? I'm, uh, in, Flo- I'm in Florida. I'm I'm I have to say, in defense of our our state, which is a pro life state, it's yep. a conservative state. In defense of our state, the abortion uh, side poured over 17 million dollars in getting signatures to put that amendment on the ballot. Uh, they deployed hundreds and hundreds of uh, operators in little blue vests that were. Wow. appearing uh, in Walmart parking lots, in the turnpike rest stops, and asking Floridians for signatures and giving them like a spiel that didn't explain at all what they were signing. So imagine how easy it is to collect signatures from a tired motorist on the turnpike who doesn't under- even understand what they're signing up for. We tried really hard uh, to to move the idea that people should decline to sign, but it was a very difficult proposition because it's hard to explain, right? The, yeah. Don't sign this. It, it wasn't a positive thing. It was like a negative thing. Don't yeah. do this. So it's hard to, to... So unfortunately, it looks like the amendment will be on the ballot um, unless something happens. The Supreme Court is examining it for some procedural thing that yeah. it, may, it may not get out, but we ex- probably we pretty much expect it to be on the ballot. And, it's, and it opens up, like you said, uh, abortion for any reason at all without any impediment, regulation, oversight, yeah without even a physician involved um, uh, for from zero days of pregnancy yeah. to 40 weeks. It's it, just terrible, terrible. The, the Florida's definition of, of healthcare provider, um, that to me is kind of interesting too. Why does it matter with that amendment what a healthcare provider is? So in, in, our, in our statutes in Florida, when the word provider means anybody at all working at a clinic of any kind. So the receptionist, the lady who takes the the phone call, she's considered a provider by Florida law. So they took out the physician requirement, right? So any provider can do it. So there's absolutely zero expertise of any kind um, in the medical field to provide, for instance, a chemical abortion drug. It's a terrible, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, the whole idea behind the, 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 the pro-abortion side way back when was that women were having dangerous back alley abortions. Well, those days are back uh, and they're back on steroids because women and little girls are going to be having abortions in their in their bedrooms with God knows what they put in their mouths. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, these over-the-counter abortifacients now are, are, are tragic. Um, my guest today, uh, Dr. Gracie Post. So, Christy, if you want to join us, feel free to dial in. The number is 888-914-9149. Just taking a look at Florida's Constitution, the next big fight for for life, uh, abortion, and so much more. You're more than welcome to sound off, too. If you want to join us, 888-914-9149. We'll be back with more conversation right after this. The hope lives here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Pray, hope, 
And don't worry. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. The Chaplet of Divine Mercy, coming up next. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll pray in about 10 minutes, so feel free to do that. I am speaking, if you're just tuning in, with Dr. Gracie Post, uh, Pozzo Christie, and you can join us here toll-free, 888-914-9149. Take a look at what's happening in Florida, and and really the fight for life on this day uh, in which thousands are gathering on our nation's capital. One of the things that I think is the next great battleground, it's it's going to be chemical abortions, right? A lot of people are going to say, I can do this in the privacy of my own home. I don't need to, to go to an abortion clinic. And uh, these medically, or medication, I should say, induced abortions, they become very prevalent in the United States. The doctor was just telling me since they were uh, approved by the FDA, they now account for one out of two or 50% of all the abortions in this country. And uh, without medical supervision, there's a lot of concern about both the safety and the health risks associated uh, with this method of abortion. And uh, it's far more dangerous than than I think is even being reported. And doctor, let's pick up on that point. I'm kind of stunned that one out of every two abortions, uh, half of them, are are now these uh, medication-induced abortions. How serious, how dangerous is this, and and, uh, what do you see for the future of it? Well, chemical abortions are 100% fatal for the baby. And for the mother, they are significantly dangerous. And the FDA knew this when um, when they approved the drug in the year 2000. And what they did at that time is using the science available, they set up a whole bunch of regulations around the drug. The drug had to be dispensed by a physician only who had examined the patient in person. There had to be two subsequent visits uh, to make sure that everything had worked as planned. Um, And uh, it was only allowed to be used for the first um, 49 days of pregnancy. Well, since then, since the year 2000, starting in 2016, the FDA started stripping away all those regulations in what I am firmly convinced and many other doctors are convinced was a completely political uh, decision. These are political decisions. In 2021, they removed the the um, the, re- the requirement that this be done in person by a physician. They said it was because of COVID, because people weren't going to their to, to the doctor or to the clinic, to the abortion facility, uh, because of COVID. Uh, but it was really just another way to make it a free for all. Just uh, two weeks ago, the the FDA approved uh, giant pharmacies like Walgreens and mail order companies to dispense the medication uh, by telehealth and just hand it over the counter to anyone who comes in with a prescription that they got from a video phone call or not even a video phone call, just a phone call. So basically we are are going back now to the back alley abortion days where anybody knowing nothing about their bodies, young girls who don't have any idea when they got pregnant um, or if they could be having something like an ectopic pregnancy, which is so dangerous, these girls can access this medication and we're going to see, we are seeing so many emergency room visits. We're going to see a lot of deaths of young women um, who are taking these medicines when it's not indicated and it's very dangerous. Well, look, doctor, I want to thank you for all that you do. I'm really grateful to have you here. Let me just give you some final thoughts because I have about a moment or two left for you. Uh, as we move forward, um, advice um, or, or any insight you want to leave us? 
Well, I, I'd like to say that we have to we have to stay on top of all the developments in the pro-life, in our in the in the dignity of life, in the culture of life, because the other side doesn't rest, and they're always inventing new things. They're always aggressive, and we have to know what's going on, keep informed, and then keep raising our voices and and voting so that we can defend life from conception to natural death. Amen to that. Well, Doctor, thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us. Look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. My pleasure. God bless you. Dr. Gracie Pozzo Christie, and we are grateful for her. You know, I'm, I'm, we're looking at this issue today. Of course, there's a today's a March for Life in Washington, D.C. this weekend. There'll be the West Coast March as well. I hope you can come out uh, for it. But I was just thinking, we played some audio from Speaker Johnson a little bit earlier uh, of how, you know, his teenage parents chose life. Maggie was telling me a little bit about Andrea Bocelli, and I, I didn't really even know that Bocelli, are you familiar with his story, Maggie, by any chance? I don't know if you you know that or not, because uh, I, I think I'll share with everyone the story of John Paul II, but go ahead. I, do, what, what do you know about Bocelli? Um, his mom had some sort of condition or, or infection or something that the doctors had urged her on numerous occasions to abort because they said this child will not be capable of, of life anyway. Wow. Um, and she chose to keep the baby, and he was born perfectly healthy, just without his eyesight, and has the most incredible gift. Uh, His voice is unlike any other voice in the world. So you go, wow, what a unique and singular gift that he was given that uh, apparently the enemy didn't want him around. (laughs) Wow, it's an amazing story. I'm glad you you shared that. My... um a couple of friends of mine invited me to go see him. He's coming to town oh, in, in April. Oh, wow. And um, they said, hey, you, they, they've already got their tickets. They said, you want to join us for it? You know? Amazing. But Bocelli, uh, an Italian tenor, if you don't know him. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Yeah, he was born with congenital glaucoma. And, um, you know, he that voice would be absent if his mother said, oh, I can't have a child that doesn't have the ability to, to see or is going to be compromised, right? His mother chose to give him birth, and um, that decision to choose life over abortion, despite doctors, despite medical advice that she received, it played such a pivotal role in shaping not only his life, right, and and he's got a, he's got children, but also the perspectives of life on others. John Paul II, you know, he's one of the great saints of the 20th century. Right, 20, 20th and 21st. It's just, I can't imagine what the world would be like. I, I look at the writings that he left behind, the witness, the example that he had, the fact that we have divine mercy because John Paul II was alive. He overturned the ban on it, right? His devotion to Our Lady. John Paul II was a, was a vocal advocate all throughout his papacy for the protection of human life. And he believed that life was sacred from the moment of conception through natural death. And he defended mothers and their children. He'd always choose choose people to choose life. He'd always urge people to choose life. And the same story. And you probably hear this a lot. John Paul II's mother, um, when she was pregnant, she had complications. And her doctors said, you really should abort the child. And um, she was depressed by you know, the instance of her first doctor that she have an abortion and really struggled with what she should do. Her pregnancy, they said, was going to be difficult. It could threaten her life. And we hear about, you know, the 
the life of a mother, right, all the time. So her first doctor firmly believed that if she went through the birth, she would die. If you have this baby, you're going to die. That's a pretty big decision, right? She didn't want to kill her own baby. And instead, she switched doctors. <laughs> I love it. She switched doctors, no longer wanting to follow the advice of the previous doctors. Very smart lady, right? Uh, so uh, the new doctor said, hey, um, he, I think he told her to be bedridden. He told her to conserve her strength, to, to lay down. And she entrusted herself to the mother of God. She said to the Blessed Mother, I'm giving you this baby. And you know how marrying he was. John Paul II's motto, if you ever see his papal flag, was totus tuus. You know, he has this cross with a big M underneath it. He loved Our Lady, and there's a reason for that. I, I remember reading, there was, a, um, there was an article ab about her, and um, they said when she gave birth to John Paul II, she had a midwife. And the midwife wrote the testimony, testimony of the particular birth of the labor. And um, the mother wanted the windows open. And I was there. I, I was outside the very place John Paul II was, was born. And it wasn't about getting fresh air, you know, that she opened the, the windows, but rather because at the moment that she was giving birth, you know what was happening? There was a Marian litany being sung. And it was audibly coming from the nearby church where John Paul II's house is right practically across the street as a church. And the mother said this. She says, I wanted the very first thing my newborn baby to hear was a hymn being sung to Our Lady. So she consecrated him to the mother of God. And she was able to successfully deliver him. Of course, John Paul II was born May 18th, right? 1920. And uh, unfortunately, he lost his mother. I don't know if you know this. Uh, you know, She died, I think, about nine years later from nephritis. Um, and John Paul II was raised without a mom. He had his father, but he too would die. It's a very heavy cross to bear for a young boy, you know, not to have a mother, for any child not to have a mother. And yet this experience deeply impact, impacted John Paul II in such a profound way that um, he was, he, well, as you know, a lifelong advocate for life and doing whatever he could for others. And I think of stories like Gianna Mola, Right, who laid her life down. She was given the same diagnosis as John Paul II's um, mother. And, and I think of Andrea Bocelli, and I think of so many others that we talk about here who chose life. Speaker Johnson's mom chose life. If God gives you the gift of a child, it's for a purpose. A child has meaning. It has a mission in life. All right, choose life. And if you had an abortion... Another great pope said, talk to your child. It will intercede for you. When we come back, we'll pray. Feel free to join me for the child.